How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to Race to the Finish. I'm here with my friend Ai Chin Chen, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, you know some pretty clump- complex things, you know, but some some stuff that I have been really interested in in terms of like you know what I like to talk about. But of course, um, Chen hit me up and he wanted to be on the show, so I figured you know things would go well. So do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, everyone probably knows me at this point, but if you don't, <laughs> if you're not one of the people at John Carroll or at Case or wherever who somehow heard about me being like, oh, it's that skateboard kid again, or, uh, oh no, he's about to strike us with his oar or something. No, uh, <laughs> no, I don't do that anymore. No, my name is Chen. I use my last name for pronunciation purposes. I'm currently a freelance videographer, lead videographer for New Image Photography in Chagrin Falls. And pretty much what I do is film events around. Like, for example, like at the time of recording in a week, I'm actually filming TED Talks in Chagrin Falls. Oh, that should be fun. Yeah, I got contracted by an independent uh, uh, veteran who's in the area so that's gonna be on my portfolio probably later on and actually no that's not gonna be that's gonna be on on ted and i'm gonna get credited for it i'm actually also editing them next week as well wow. so you're gonna be editing tedx talks then yes i am editor at the same time <laughs> that's like a dream come true for a lot of people who yeah. like to talk about issues and stuff and 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 do your kind of work you know yeah, I get to listen to it at the same time, but the thing is that, well, obviously, other than doing video from three, four cameras, I also have to make it sound like it's podcast-worthy, like like on here. Right. And and you know probably better than I do the amount of work that, that, that it takes to actually put on something like this, like hours and stuff, but, you know, um, I'm glad that you're here because we're going to be talking about um you know your topic that you brought on was like uh neurodiversity versus normalcy so can we go ahead and talk about like what what exactly like do you mean by that like um can you like elaborate a little bit yeah if everyone doesn't really know but uh when you're diagnosed on the autism spectrum now as of 2013 through dsm-5 you can be put on the mild end of things like one of the lowest levels which is like what it was formerly classified as Asperger's syndrome. So it's like, in a few words, it's just social awkwardness. Or <laughs> you're actually socially aware of things, but not really at the same time. Okay. It's one of the most difficult things to describe, actually. Gotcha. And so, kind of going about life, you know, um, kind of navigating through all of this like what what exactly is that like for you you know like what like what is your experience when it comes to all of that okay from my standpoint it's not exactly how it's portrayed in the media because you have people representing like uh jim parsons representing sheldon cooper in the big bang theory that's a pretty good way on one end but then you have people on another end who are like the whole vaccines causing autism spectrum disorder thing and i'm like Mm. okay could you please check the facts again and um actually get an education for once 
because <laughs> there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you're on the spectrum because you're either thinking at Mach 2 or something or you're like some sort of savant or you're expected to be like this prodigy at something. And it's not always that way. I mean, mm. sure, I may be different in the sense that educationally I'm a pragmatist who somehow ends up incorporating a lot of things that I learned from, I don't know, Canadian television and s- certain motion capture suits into real life and using the physics behind them. But there's a difference between that and going berserk or crazy. If you know what right. I mean. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting that you brought up the media's portrayal of folks who, you know, fall under the autism spectrum and, and, you know, we see it a lot in pop culture and then it kind of feeds into what the common perception is of, of, of folks who do have this condition or, you know, or cognitive difference. Right. And so I think, you know, you like video games. I know that about you. And, and you know that I love to play video games as well. And so there is um, someone who plays Super Smash Bros. He His tag goes, uh, um, what was it? Uh, Mewtwo King. I don't know why I forgot about that. But he um, falls under the autism spectrum as well. I believe he has Asperger's. And he is, like, super amazing at this game. And, um, and, and, and really has been playing for years. And so now he has built up this reputation where, like, he is this, he has a superhuman mind where, like, he's calculating everything that he needs to do with this game. And a lot of people attribute that to or attribute that to his, his, his Asperger's. And so from what I hear you're telling me is that it's not always that way. So it's, it's kind of unfair to kind of put that title on folks who do have autism because or, or, or have some sort or fall into the spectrum because it gives them some sort of false expectation to kind of go about their lives. Is that accurate? Yeah, if you look at people who take advantage of, like, these services and education for, they get, like, they're allowed to have extended test times, they're allowed to have other studying advantages and whatnot, but there's some people who abuse that and they're not diagnosed on. There's some people who, they might be really good gamers, like, I know a few who are just they're instinctually good at platformers but they suck at everything strategy uh (laughs) me i'm i'm more into like you know like fire emblem and yeah i mean you like the strategy games yeah like i'm more of a tactical mind even though that i'm not a chess master and believe me i (laughs) i do not want to get near a chess board (laughs) yeah but it's just Everyone has their own perks. It's not like you can't point out like when you look at the autism spectrum, they call it like an umbrella term for it, but not everyone fits under the same diagnoses. I mean, mm. there are some people who are they're socially normal, even though that they might not really show it. They're good at covering it up by observing other people like they're their body behaviors, their uh, the way they look, the way they sound, and they can go off from there, honestly. But it's not the same at all with everyone. I mean, I'm used to observing people from a distance. I did not re- talk very much at all growing up. And I had to learn by literally studying through television, through radio, through comedy, and heck, 
being an aspiring comedy writer myself, it really does show how people change and how they act. So when it comes down to this term like neurodiversity, right? Like what what do you think where do you, where do you think like we are going as a society in terms of that? You know, we we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion when it comes to ethnicity and and, and identity. But what about neurodiversity? Like, tell me a little bit more about what you mean with that. So people think in different mindsets. Like, you have people on the spectrum, like Temple Grandin, who's a renowned animal scientist, who thinks in pictures. And you can see all her books later on. And I wish I had a visual to go off of, but I don't, because this is a podcast. Hello? (laughs) But you have people like her, you have people like John Elder Robeson, who wrote Look Me in the Eye. And you have people who just, they don't think on the normal level. They either, they don't have the same cognitive abilities, or it's just they're hypersensitive. So they might seem to have the same cognitive abilities, they might be socially perceptive the same way, or it goes randomly. You have people who don't think the same way. Like, I know the Temple Grandin thinks in pictures, and I think in, well, pragmatism with what's useful and what's not. But it's not a one-size-fits-all like a box of cement or something. Gotcha. And then so when it relates to normalcy, what do you see as normalcy? It's like the way that people, like society in general, goes out what they think how they act look at the people around you look at how they act look at how they talk listen to them look at their body language look at what they're doing with social media and other behaviors and then you think about people like us who don't exactly fit in the same way i mean sure you can have me doing the same things it just has a different result because i'm not as socially adept as the rest of the world. Like, I don't fit in at all. In fact, I'm used to being an outcast entirely. And now I'm kind of taking that with a sense of pride right now because it's actually helping me with my line of work in the most ironic sense. And no, it does not involve me having a ninja outfit like a (laughs) kabuki dance theater, just for the record. Although I do wear all black. Well, I do remember, you know, walking around on camp. And I thought that was one of the coolest things about you, Chen, is that... You, um, you know, you, you knew that, that you were just different. And I don't mean that about the way that like that about you yourself falling under the autism spectrum is the fact that you were skateboarding with an oar on campus. And I thought that was cool. And so, you know, okay, that's, that was that's only very... starting like three years ago because, of, <laughs> and that started all because of one game that was the first RPG I ever played. And that was like when I was five years old and I didn't understand any of it. What was and the I game? Ended it was called Chrono Cross. It was released by Squaresoft in 1999. Right. And okay. it's the sequel to Chrono Trigger, just for the record. It's the sequel to Chrono Trigger. Uh, loosely. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I never actually played Chrono Trigger, and anyone who knows video games knows that, like, they, they scold me for that. It's like, one of the greatest RPGs ever. How could you not play Chrono Trigger? And it's like, well, I didn't own a Super Nintendo growing up, and so I, um, you know, I, I didn't really have the opportunity to play it. You know, my thing and then was they released um, it on PlayStation as well, and then yeah. on Nintendo DS. And I think they have it on PC as well, but I think oh it yeah, got, they do. It got like horrible reviews or something like that. Oh, let's not go there. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so I, I think it's interesting that we're talking about video games too. So well, I mean, how have video games in my life too? Yes. Yeah, let's talk about that. You know, I think. Um, well, let's let's kind of like take it step by step. So, okay. kind of starting off, you know, I love video games as well. I had a friend growing up who um, loved video games like passionately, and he um, had was diagnosed with ADHD when he was a child, and he. Um, used video games as an outlet to really engage himself because he's, you know, ADHD is a lack of dopamine in your head. Uh, well, it's a part of it, right? And so um, when you're playing video games, you're constantly engaged, right? That self-reward, um, that self-rewarding feeling is always there in your head. And so growing up, it played an influence in his life and it plays in mine too. I mean, I have, I was diagnosed at what, like 21? And I still play Smash. I just finished playing Smash Bros. And then I took a nap because I was tired. <laughs> but um, <laughs> You know, with yourself, like, what's your story? Like, how did how did video games affect you growing up? Um, you know, under the autism spectrum, but also as an adult, like, how you go about life? Like, you know, how did video games play a part in that? It wasn't so much of relating to people as much as studying character development and plot for me. So I grew up without having a lot of voiced games because voice acting wasn't exactly the biggest thing on the face of the planet until the early 2000s, as we all understand. Although I did play a lot of Carmen Sandiego growing up because, well... I remember that. That's where I got all my uh, history and geography because that's how it all was back in the 90s. Oh, good. And all (laughs) But that's also kind of how it helped my sense of humor and my sense of uh, social development, trying to, by learning things through these games, because it was a little more interactive than, oh, I don't know, a nature documentary, even though that I'm watching more of them now in order to get a sense of camera work and narration. Mm-hmm. So it really did end up being more of a cognitive development and social development on my end, even though it kind of gave off a little bit of wry humor and it was kind of droll for the time. So you were kind of looking at these games as a way, like you you were like really looking at the characters and seeing how they were, you know, speaking, developing as, as, as people within this narrative. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the most important things. Whether you're a writer or a content developer, it's all about the development of that. Even though you could have the most convoluted plot, but the best character development possible. And then how do you relate it to people? How do you relate to yourself? And that's one of the things of being on the spectrum is that you're not exactly the most socially relatable, even though you may have the same interests as people. It just comes out differently, and maybe this is a way of being able to connect and look at other people. And that's what I really like about some of these games is that they take this social aspect that you're not necessarily the same, and they somehow integrate it. And it really does help in some regards. That's awesome. And, and and people, I think that's like, so I don't know, we're touching on a passion point right now and I'm glad <laughs> that we are. It's because video games, I feel have this rap, like, Oh, well it's like poison for the mind. Like it's not good for you. Like so many parents believe in this. Right. And, but you know, hearing you say this and hearing, you know, other friends say this, you know, they they're not on the spectrum, but talking about how, um, let, let's use this as an example. So, 
Kingdom Hearts was uh, was a coworker of mine's, uh, one of his favorite games. And I asked him, I was like, well, why do you like Kingdom Hearts so much? I, I like Kingdom Hearts. And he's like, well, Kingdom Hearts is a game that I really like, like really related to growing up. Um, so this 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 coworker was gay and he um, related to Sora because Sora is kind of going through this whole narrative. He's trying to figure out like who he is, what his purpose is and all of that. And so um, this person that I worked with, he related to Sora on a level that, you know, it's not necessarily Sora's narrative, but found bits and pieces that he can relate to. And that sounds like to me what you're what you have done with video games. It's like you recognize that whoever wrote these characters or wrote these narratives are taking social aspects within our society and kind of flexing them and showing that things are different, you know? And I yeah, think this that... is exactly what I'm trying to say. Like, this is good writing and good character development. This is taking real life and putting it into something where you can show and relate to people. That's really the ultimate goal. It isn't a final boss or a challenge, although I will say that I'm looking forward to Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind DLC because uh, <laughs> I really <laughs> want to see some loose ends tied up, really. Yeah. But the thing yeah, for I'm me, like, I look at series like the Tales of series with Namco, and especially the last edition that they have, Tales of Berseria, I relate to the protagonist demon lord Velvet Crow the best because she has this ordinary life that's somehow turned upside down and nah, no, I'm not going to go Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on it. And then she ends up becoming the first Therian slash uh, self-proclaimed demon lord. And yet she still ends up saving all of humanity and all the spirits slash Malkim from, well, what could go wrong because of one question, why do birds fly? And no, it's not a question of biology. It's actually a question of free will versus, like... Determinism? Not really determinism, more like the collective, kind of. Gotcha. So, you know, it just reminded me of something, because it kind of shoots me back to this question that I asked you, like, neurodiversity versus normalcy. You know, normalcy, it sounds like um, you understand it to be like a collective mindset. Like what society does, what do we do as people that is so similar? Like what what we see on social media, et cetera, et cetera. And I can imagine, I can only imagine, you know, what your perspective is on, you know, the rest of society who may not fall into the spectrum and that be normalcy. How does this quote normal society affect your maturing into what you consider to be an adult and what society views as an adult like how does that affect all of that like when you go when you grow up as a child you are expected to follow the orders of your parents your peers and you're expected to decree favor and then when you're in schools and then they're like you should be the best you can be but then they're still teaching you oh but we still have these expectations that you should follow it's up to you whether to use your best judgment as to ascertain what's exactly the best for you it's not exactly the best for everyone else but i mean i come into college after high school and I'm trying to break free of this mold because it's not getting me anywhere. Currying favor does not exactly help me in the long run mentally because am I going to become enslaved to X, Y, Z, or am I going to be trying to be the most 
favored person on campus. Like this <laughs> campus celebrity thing is not what I wanted. In fact, <laughs> I'm trying to break the law and be like, okay, here's all of you people and your normal thinking. And here's my way of doing things in the most pragmatic way for me that I can get through without harming anyone. And go ahead. I mean, you are expected to have like some sort of standards. Like if you're a John Carroll, obviously going through the educational phase of things and going through, I, I've even studied like some of the things like the Ignatian imperative or multicultural student services on campus. Like I've looked at some of these things and the social expectations that you're to have, but still you can follow them, but then you can still branch off and be your own person. I don't have to be part of like entirely the representative for some organization, even though I do have preferences towards the CSDI or to campus ministry. I see. I see what you're saying. And what I was going to point out is, it, like, you had, you certainly attained this whole campus celebrity um, uh, status because you genuinely carried out yourself who you are to be. And, you know, whether I feel, you know, whether people like it or not, I feel like people have to recognize that. And so, of course, there were those people who 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 made fun of you. You know, that's no secret. But there's also tons of other people who really admired you, you know, and I'm one of those people that admire you for for really carrying yourself genuinely and authentically. And I feel that everything that you just said is what we can all learn from, you know, and and I'm so glad that you put it in that in those words and those perspectives is because so many people go off to college and end up taking on a career or a field of study that will do other people better than they can do themselves. So like if their parents tell them like, Hey, you need to go off and become a doctor. All right. And then that's the only acceptable thing that you can do, you know, for your parents and say the person that's going into that study isn't necessarily interested or, 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 you know, maybe just not cut out for it. And so they end up failing themselves, but they end up failing the people that put those expectations on their shoulders, you know? And so I think that if all of us can really kind of rebel and, and kind of break away from that thought process that we need to, um, I guess you could say live our lives for somebody else instead of living our lives first, before we think about living it for somebody else, I think that all of us would really do ourselves a favor. And... Yeah, I mean, it's like, not to be crass, but you did basically summarize the whole plot of Dead Poet Society. That I just oh, noticed. what is that? <laughs> I, oh, I don't know gosh. what that is. Oh, I'm about to be like the collective conscious that's like, you need to see this right now. <laughs> you kind of can't. No, but if, you, if any of you don't know what Dead Poet Society is, it's basically taking a tra- this transcendentalist professor to try to break the students from the mold that they're being trying to fit in with uh-huh. how the education system is. Hmm. I'm dead serious. Like, of course, I'm not a transcendentalist for the record, but still the same idea comes about. And it's not just about Robin Williams saying something about Carpe Diem. 
it's about breaking free from society's normalcy and learning to think for yourself and act for yourself. And that's what I really think was the most important thing through college. And to touch on previous points, I was originally in international business with Spanish minor. I remember that. And then I switched out because I knew I was going to get nowhere with business. I'm not a math person. I nearly failed calculus in high school, and yet I still got a four in the AP test. Wow. Somehow. (laughs) And yet... (laughs) I ended up doing a lot better in Spanish because of its pragmatism. Well, by still doing a minor, at least. But then I switched into becoming the equivalent of a film major. Because I knew that's where I was being called. That's where my talents lied, being a visual storyteller and being an audio editor. And now that's what I'm doing for my job, even though it took a bit, like, a year to find it. Still, it's what I do best now. And that's... Exactly what I'm trying to say is, like, you can't necessarily fit into the molds of other people when you need to know who you are first in order to figure out how you're going to go. Chad, you are inspiring me. I'm like, 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 no joke. You are inspiring me right now. Seriously. Gosh, maybe I should be the one who's speaking TED Talks instead of filming them. <laughs> okay that's a bit maybe of irony. one day maybe yeah, one day maybe one day <laughs> yeah seriously no I, and 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 you know everything that you're saying is what i've been trying to tell people to understand and you know I, no one's really going to understand once until they you know come across a situation where they have to make that decision for themselves you know for me I, you know, went through college and you know I switched my major like what is it like three or four times or something like that I think it was three was it? Okay. Yeah. And, and it is because like, I was flip-flopping back and forth about, Hey, like, you know, do I do this for my parents? Do I do this for me? Who am I doing this for? Do I want to have a family one day? I'm worrying about kids that I never even had <laughs> that, that, that like even come close to having like what? And, and so that was the first step. The second step was even going to the, going to college in the first place was a step in a direction of me trying to find myself. And I feel like that's why a lot of, you know, kids actually go off to college so they can find themselves. I knew going into college is that I wanted to become a leader. I always knew that I was a leader, like no matter what. And in high school, I was a follower. Like I was I was I was that dude who like was really passive and I, and I did things that my friends did. And and I was upset with myself about it. So going to college, I really wanted to blossom into who I saw myself, you know, being in my head. That's why I got involved with Lhasa. And kind of going back to this whole point that you made that, you know, people are doing things for others uh, to be impressed on and, and and not necessarily because they want to do it. Well, I see, you know, that happen within some culture organizations or, or even student organizations that people take on leadership roles because, you know, it's a resume builder or they just want to impress somebody like that was never the case for me. Right. And I wanted to do it because I wanted to be a leader and I knew that's what I wanted to do. So. All those different things uh, come together allowed me to really carry myself in an authentic way. Everything else followed. And and I feel where people make a lot of mistakes is when they kind of do that backwards, is that they expect to be respected first without putting in the actual work. And so when really, if you just kind of be yourself, everything just kind of graduates. Everything that is deserving of your attention kind of gravitates towards you. I think that's the way I kind of pieced it in my head. Like, how does that sound to you? Like what? 
like knowing who you are is one thing. Like if you're trying to be like all that you can, but then it's like the all you can be is like the expectations of the outside world and everything that's encroaching on you, then who are you? No, seriously. Who am I? Or one of those really uh, crazy uh, convoluted RPG plots that I'm probably going to go off of. And I could do all the voice acting I want to really say it. And it really comes, it hits home. It really does. Like, if you don't know yourself, then how are you going to face the world? Are you going to become, like, just another lackey? Or are you going to literally figure things out of who you are first? And then the world can come later. I am dead serious. Like, I've lost my train of thought coming through with this. But I don't know why it's like in high school, everyone is trying to become like this giant uh, convoluted model. Like some sort of puppet or marionette or whatever you call it that you want. They're like the model student, citizen, I don't know. Then you go to, like, a college like John Carroll where you literally either take it to the test where you really become this model thing or are you just going to become a shadow that somehow ends up in the shadow of others who are outshining you in this way, but in reality they're just nothing more than being part of the same collective. Mm. And for me... Although I'm not exactly a leader, in fact, I was a vice president of crew, and I don't mean rowing, I mean Campus Crusade for Christ International, formerly. I was vice president for a year, and then I kind of had to take it off because it's not my kind of thing. Leadership is not for me. I know my role in the shadows better than I can lead people. So I left it to someone else who then took the reins, and I watched from afar, and I helped in the shadows as needed. And that's the kind of thing that I know what's good for me that can help others as a result. So it really is complicated, but at the same time, it's really about knowing yourself and knowing how you act with other people, how you observe others, and then take that information and put it back out into application. That's what it's really about. You're not going to see people all doing the same thing, oh, oh, unless they uh, (laughs) are, like, replaced by automaton minds or something or hive mindedness <laughs> and taking all of that into like the real world you know at least i it was like kind of a shock to me graduating out of J, uh, out of jcu and then going off and getting a, a job like a full-time job and not having lhasa anymore not having the friends that i had anymore and you know all of that's okay i mean that's life you know it happens but at the same time, you know, you miss the resources that were available to you to kind of put on like events and stuff like that. Like, you know, CSDI being there for you, um, friends being there for you, y- your opportunity to be there for somebody else. Like it was all easier in college. So how do you kind of stick to those principles going away from JCU, but into your career and to your life as Chen? Well, it's really a difficult question because of the amount of people who you thought were going to be there, as it turns out, only a few 
are left behind who actually do care. And I mean, there's actually an article that I read where the actual average amount of friends you actually have is 16. And, uh, well, mine's less, clearly, but same <laughs> point across that it's a social connectiveness, but it's a more intimate thing that it really hurts. Like, I'm good at public speaking, no doubt. Like, I've testified in court too many times, probably. Because wow. I was a witness for a mock trial when I was in high school, and then kind of a few actual cases, and heck, even becoming a legitimate citizen. I mean, I faced magistrates. I know how to deal with that. It's the interpersonal stuff that's kind of the thing for me. Like, one-on-one -on -one with people is like, I don't really warm up to people that well. And you're going to find a lot of people who don't either. And that's perfectly normal. Because the way they're brought up or with post-traumatic things that happen that kind of cause them to withdraw. It can be anything. And it's still going to be one of those things that's going to plague them for the rest of their lives unless they act on it. And there are some people who are actually way too talkative. They're overly social and they don't even... They are actually on the spectrum as well. They're just not socially cognitive of, like, the limits of being sort of that way. Mm, so it really okay. isn't cookie-cutter, puzzle-piece type thing, like, that we see in the media or that we get from the stories that we hear or whatever. It's not going to be one-size-fits-all. Wow, that's all, like really interesting to hear it come from you because i mean obviously you're putting in the same hustle that all of us are putting right but yours is coming from a different place and so that may come for like with more hurdles than somebody else like what does that journey look like for you like attaining like a full-time job you know uh after college you know I what i'm mean saying is it any? Do you think it's any different? Like you have a perspective, obviously, on normalcy, right, in society, yeah. and then you're very in tune with, you know, yourself. Do you like, feel you can like you use this to your advantage too? Like, okay. for example, here's my story of how I ended up getting kind of a full time job. So after leaving JCU, trying to get like alumni connections and whatnot, actually, none of that actually helped me in real life. Turns out. If you're an Ohioan with a disability, whether it be physical or mental, you can go to Opportunities for Ohioans with Disabilities, and that's on the state website. You can actually use that to your advantage with whatever diagnosis or whatever physical impairment that you have. You can fill out applications. You can meet with career counselors, job counselors, and people who will take your cases. They're being paid by the state to help you. I am not kidding. They are being helping. Well, they are going to help you. See, I'm losing my senses of grammar right now. Because <laughs> this is all true. And it did take me a few months from February to April. Like, I went through opportunities with Ohioans with disabilities. Had to be re-diagnosed for autism spectrum disorder. Because in 2011, I was diagnosed with it. And then, well... You know, they expire or things change and you lose records. So you have to literally oh, do it. Oh, wow. And they can do it for free with the diagnoses as long as it's through the state. I wonder why they do that. But anyways, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I wonder how they do it too. Anywho, <laughs> then they 
They take whatever information that they learn about you and then they pair you up with someone. For my case, I got paired up with the director of Matrix Vocational Solutions, who then in turn, it's it was her role to help me find vocational career paths that aligned with what I learned at John Carroll, what I took out, what I apply, my specialties. And it ultimately ended up becoming this connection to someone that she knew, well, her daughter knew, which ended up leading to me meeting at the studio and immediately being hired once I showed him exactly what was wrong in video editing hmm. without an interview. No resume. Wow. So you were hired straight up. Straight up, amazingly. Like, wow. And this is, this is a rare thing, believe it or not. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, like, so many I people are struggling for jobs. I'm just, I show up looking like this straight out of college without a suit on, like, literally wearing rags, carrying a longboard into the studio. Yes, that's <laughs> all true. And still ending up spending a few hours literally on a desktop computer fixing things. And all of a sudden, you're hired. Wow. And then so from like, there, you must have blown them away. Oh yeah, because they fired the previous guy for oh man. If I sh- told you that the previous guy was using a lens that was so heavy, and that in the balance of things, in the viewfinder, if you had people at a lectern and their foreheads and hair were being cut off at the widest, how would you go about that? Hmm. Yep, the guy was fired. Hmm. And then from there, the rest, I've been doing corporate events, I've been doing weddings, a lot of Jewish weddings, actually. And actually, by the time of recording for this, tomorrow, I'm going to be doing basically my boss's wedding, his third wedding. It's a Jewish wedding. (laughs) Nice, nice. Yeah, that's going to be fun. (laughs) So, what was I going to say, um... Wow, so that's all, like, really good to hear, Chen. I mean, seriously, like, you know, obviously, after graduation, you know, there's been disconnection because we've all been trying to, you know, make it in this life and kind of working on ourselves and, 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 and doing what we need to do. So where, do you, where does Chen go from here? Like, what, what's next for you? Like, what do you see? Well, honestly, I didn't really think much of a career path because I thought I was going to become either – one of those freelance documentarians who was like, the next Ken Burns or something. Well, that could be, but I'm not really into documentaries and indie films quite yet. So right now I'm partnering with New Image Photography in order to build my portfolio up with doing events by just being there for people, being the lens that records their events for them. That's kind of what it is for now. Although in the future... I don't know because, you know, millennials are killing the marriage industry and whatnot. (laughs) Yeah, we're not getting married and we're not having babies. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just like, "Mm." why would we want to bring a kid into this cruel world? (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) that's the mindset of a lot of us. I don't know if I'm going to stay in this field entirely because I have a lot of other versatile talents. Although, to be honest, I thought I was going to continue on with my history of being a wrestling manager because heck that was the only reason i uh, got a job at john carroll in the first place was because i knew what the hell i was doing and i did it right and i didn't even need an interview at all although for a few other jobs i did 
in an interview. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the time, that's I mean, yeah, you have to go through an interview process. Not like, you can't like yeah. blow everyone away at the same time, you know. I mean, not everyone's going to just be like, here's what I can do. Here's how I'm going to prove it, damn it. And then yeah. you can't always do that, though. And I'm fully cognitive that, I mean, this happened by chance that I landed this gig with New Image Photography and now they're a lead videographer. Like, there's no way it could have happened to anywhere else, to be perfectly honest. I think it's interesting that I'm able to relate to a lot, to a lot of the things that you're saying, even though that you're coming from a different place. And I think that is a good thing because that allows me to kind of take that into the world and be able to tell this story, you know, and, and there are a lot of uneducated people out there um, that don't necessarily respect other people's conditions when it comes to their uh, cognitive uh, situation. You know what I'm saying? And oh, yeah. I don't know. I guess, you know, for the work that I'm doing, you know, with this show and, and ever since I even got diagnosed with my um, with my diagnosis is like I've always wanted people to really kind of respect mental health and mental awareness and, and, and that kind of realm more. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And this whole the whole mental health community, that's a minority unto itself, honestly. You have to consider all these socioeconomic factors as well when you consider the term minority. And even mm. though you could have me on the gender spectrum or you could have me by ethnicity because racism exists, but ethnicity does technically, you're also missing out on other factors that you don't really look at, like mental health or your socioeconomic status. Right. And to me, those are all important when calculating into it. But remember, it's about the people first. That's the most important part that we probably forgotten and we focus too much more on the minority part than on the people. Hmm. And what, what what do you mean by that though? I think I think I know what you're saying, but could you elaborate on that last part? Like when I was taking some of my studies on autism spectrum disorder, even though I never actually took them at John Carroll, but I did it on my own independent research. There's something called people first language. It you take like take a sentence for example, and if you mention a uh, mental disability or something, if you mention that first, it kind of puts the importance on that more than the person. So if you have mm, that afterwards, okay. like a person who has autism spectrum disorder, you're focusing more on the person. You're raising the importance up. Like, it's not just grammatical. It's actually, it's real. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and an example that I think I can relate to. Yeah, I, I do know what you're saying. Like, there was a coworker of mine um, in the past that, that made that point um, that we should be referring to people as people first instead of, like, you know, their conditions in front of them. And... You know, a, a lot of the a lot of the people were like, "Why is he being so picky about this?" Like, ah, you know, and 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 I don't I don't even know if I really had an opinion. I just thought it was cool that he wrote that. So he wrote basically he had given some feedback to another one of my coworkers by calling by calling somebody like a homeless person or a hobo and and all of that. And he sent out a um, a store wide email saying that like, hey, like using this type of language is pretty dehumanizing. And we should be better than this. You know, if there's somebody that you see 
um, that is homeless, we should be saying that a person who is homeless or a person who has lost their home instead of a homeless person or a hobo or using all these different things. And it goes a long way because then you're putting the humanity of the person first because that's how it should always be. I think that's kind of like what I'm understanding from what you're saying. Yeah, and this also ties in with normalcy because we're so used to it that it's like we're desensitized to it that it's just become so commonplace that we're losing the human factor. We're losing the value of the human, you, me, everyone. We're losing what's us. And we're instead, we're focusing too much on the things or whatever entities you have that's, it's just not about you. It's mm-hmm. taking the value away from you. And that's why when I wanted to go into this podcast with this topic, because it's not about the the Asian American experience or being purely on a campus celebrity turned a radical fear uh, <laughs> fighter on a board or something. No, that's not why I'm here. Like, even though that I could literally be skating down and impaling people with a lance or something and being like, uh, nope. Whoops. Nope. But no, that's not why I'm here. The reason I'm here is because I wanted to say that it's about knowing who you are as a person first. Putting the value back into the human part of you, and then the rest from there, you need to be able to observe others, take these things into effect, and know how to apply it back out. Because otherwise, then... How are you going to live your entire life, your social life, being able to understand the very world you live in? And that's why I think that it's really important focusing on that, being able to think differently than others, being able to have that neurodiversity. And that's what's going to cause me to survive in this world. Well, aside from uh, physically keeping myself alive in this uh, mortal vessel. (laughs) Right. And, and, you know, I think the the question that comes to my head too is obviously you've had your own experiences to come to this mindset, but there are a lot of people who have all this potential and, 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 you know, are that are going to school and, and, and want to do great things. But how would you encourage somebody to reach that mindset is like, well, before we get started with like one, two, three, ABC ideas, you got to find yourself first. Like, how how do you effectively communicate that? I mean, like, it's it's easier said than done, you know? Oh, yeah, it's really easier said than done. And as I say, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Honestly, it's a lot of introspection, like looking into yourself, meditating or journaling or writing or whatever you do to find yourself. It's not about everyone else until you understand you. And for me, it took over eight years for that. Honestly, I've, long story short, I've been expelled before. I've been imprisoned. I've been there, done that with a lot of things, and I don't like talking about it. But it took that in order to help me figure out myself because I wasn't talking. I was writing to people instead because that was the best effective way that people could hear me through it instead of listening so it's not going to be one of those easy peasy things that you're going to find in a self-help book in the the 600 section 
according to the De Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> oh no, it's gonna be a lot of you and yourself, and you're gonna have to figure that out on your own. But that's where other people come in to help you. That's why there's like OOD with trying to help people like me find jobs in fields that we can excel in. There's a lot that can go right and wrong, and you can take advantage of this system. Honestly, it's really complicated, but at the same time, it really is about you finding yourself, and as much convoluted as it is, sadly, you're going to have to find out a lot on your own. But that's part of the good thing, is that you're knowing yourself, your strengths, your weaknesses, your likes, your dislikes, and you're finding out among all this other people, all this other collective conscious, this identity, in order to make sure that you know who you are in order to survive in this social world. Wow, Chen. So we really said a lot. That, and, and, and I have to say, I learned a lot. And I feel validated, too. And, and I'm glad that you're able to be on this show. I think that a lot of people can learn from what you have to say. And especially a lot of people that we went to school with. And I'm sure they would love to hear what you have to say. Seriously. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that if I'm not hiding in the shadows and being the whole, you know, I'm kind of good at this. But really, uh, I don't know. It's just it's not all about me world. It's uh -huh. even though it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So kind of closing out the episode. You know, um, you listen to the show, and so I ask every guest, you know, if, they could, if you could say, like, one last thing to the world, what would it be? And um, also, like, if you have any shout-outs, how can we follow you? How do we engage with you? All of that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, go ahead. The floor is yours. You can be, like, anyone you want, technically. Well, in mindset, at least. But knowing, like, your strengths, your weaknesses, knowing yourself is the first step, honestly. Otherwise, how are you going to get through this condemnable world unless you're like one of those people who's just constantly hiding from the horror that's waiting out there that's probably either your mom catching you when you're gaming at night or something crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's a reference to 5-volt and 9-volt from Game of Yeah, <laughs> yes. Which is like even scarier than some of the horror games I've seen now. <laughs> because of yes. how you actually can connect to it. No, but seriously, it's about knowing yourself and how you're going to face this world socially. Because if you can't do that, then how are you going to get through with communication in real life? Honestly, I don't have any solutions for that. And I'm not going to become that guru who does. Anywho, if you want to follow me, check me out at chen.jcu on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm, I have my own YouTube channel at iChin Chen, and I'm at Newinch Photography. You can Google the first result on Google, and you'll find my work over there as well. But primarily, I'm a videographer who's doing weddings and corporate events, and I kind of like it how it is. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the show. I hope everyone learned something from today. and Because I certainly did. Seriously. And, and you know... I kind of go into these episodes with zero expectations and never come out disappointed. So thank you, Chen, for joining the show, seriously. And I hope to have you on again in the future. Seriously, I say that to every guest, but like, like, 
seriously, I think that you have a lot to say, and I feel like a lot of people can learn from you. And you know, going forward, as as the show evolves, um, I'm sure we can be doing some work together. Oh and... yeah, I have one last thing to say. Which sure, is go ahead. What I think is like a really good point from, well, actually two things. One is from Daria. It's like from an episode where she's points out, I don't, I'm, my goal is not to wake up at 40 being stuck in a job I hate because I was forced to decide on a career path in my teens. Like, seriously, that's one of the things I'd like to touch on in the future, but it seriously was meta for its time on MTV. And the second <laughs> thing is from Velvet Krill on why birds fly. And I'm going to try it in her accent. Birds fly because they want to fly. Even if their wings are clipped and doomed to die, they fly because they want to, not because they're told. Birds fly because they want to fly, and for no other reason. <laughs> that was a good impression. Yeah, I, I can't do Christina V, but <laughs> yeah, but that it really does hit home because it really ties into who you are. Yeah. Do you want to do something because you want to do it? Or do you want to do it because everyone else wants to do it and you conform with it? Oh my gosh. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. We really should do an episode about tying video games into real life. <laughs> well, you know, if you saw like what I put on the on, on the Facebook, you know, the, the show's actually going to be at PAX West. You know what PAX is. Oh yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, and so... Um, I'll talk more about it once that time comes. But yeah, anyways. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I, I don't, I don't want to leave any more cliffhangers for the listeners. I'm sorry. And um, But yeah, if you have any questions, uh, you know, regarding the episode or anything, any suggestions you have for the show, go ahead and email me at carlos at race the number two to the finish dot live. And I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as possible. Um, any topics you want to hear, you go ahead and shoot me an email as well. You can listen to the show on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher. Um, I'm missing something. YouTube, Facebook, and there's one more. Google Play. And, um, and yeah, I think I got all of them. I think that's it. All right. And so thanks for listening to the episode. If you stuck through this long, and we can see you next week. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>